Um, The second Bible reading for tonight comes from Jonah, chapter 4, verses uh, 1 to 11. And it can be found on uh, page 969, or 68, in most few Bibles. But Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. He prayed to the Lord, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? That is why... I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, Have you any right to be angry? Jonah went out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter sat in its shade and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a vine that made it and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the vine. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the vine so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind And the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, It would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you have a right to be angry about the vine? I do, he said. I am angry enough to die. But the Lord said, You have been concerned about this vine, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about that great city? Thanks, Phoebe. Now, uh, let me encourage you, uh, grab an outline. If you don't have one, you might find that helpful. There's also a full transcript of the sermon if you find that helpful as well. Uh, Why don't we spend about 30 seconds, turn around to those around you, welcome and greet each other, and I'll call you back shortly. Okay, friends, uh, let me ask you to take a seat. We'll make a start. Now, keep your Bibles open. We're going to work through those uh, very 11 verses. Now, I want to start today with another question, that is, do you ever uh, have this question in mind? It just pops up. You see people being and acting like people and you ask the question, how can you do that? How can you do that? How can people do that? Now, this happens quite often when you're on the internet, you you see YouTube, you're on Facebook and people put up funny clips and you see silly people doing silly things and you think, how can you do that? There's actually one such clip on our Yoshi page. How can some guy dance like that? If you don't know, you can check it out. But then, of course, on the other side of the spectrum, you come across news and reports and that same question comes to mind. How can you do that? How can people act that way? And this past week I I came across this report, this story. It was just hard to believe. How can people do that? Now this is a story about a killer, a serial killer, Gary Leon Ridgway, known infamously as the Green River Killer. He's from Washington State. In 2001, He was caught and he was convicted of 49 murders. I read that report and I'm thinking, how can people be so evil and ruthless? 
In fact, they only convicted him of 49 murders. He, in fact, confessed to 71 murders over a 20-year period. You read an article like that and you think, how can you do that? How can people be so ruthless, so heartless, so evil? But you see, what was shocking about the story was not just what this guy was like, who was heartless, who was ruthless, who was evil, was sickening to read of what he did. But what was more shocking was what happened on the day of sentencing. In 2003, for more than two hours, families of victims were given the opportunity to, to express the hurt they, they felt, to express their anger towards, towards this man, Ridgeway. And they, they expressed their anger and their grief and they cursed him. They said things like, he's a monster, he's an animal, he's a parasite, he's garbage, he's a coward. They, they said, this guy he doesn't deserve to live, he should die. One, one such person said, he wants to take revenge right there in the court. And you, and you, and you think about their response, it, it seems harsh, it seems mean, but it actually makes good sense, doesn't it? This guy has caused a lot of hurt. Their response, their anger, their grief was reasonable. But what was shocking on that day was the response of the father of one victim, Robert Rule. I'm going to show you a little clip to let you see how he responded, what he said to that, that man that day. Gary Ridgway sat there stone-faced as victims' relatives damned him and mocked him. He's an animal. I wish for him to have a long, suffering, cruel death. He's going to go to hell and that's where he belongs. But then the emotionless facade finally cracked when the father of one of his victims appeared to surprise him with a dose of human kindness. Mr. Ridgway, um, there are people here that hate you. I'm not one of them. You've, you've made it difficult to live up to what I believe, and that is what God says to do, and that's to forgive. You are forgiven, sir. Do you guys hear what he said? I'll repeat it. He said, there are people here that hate you. I'm not one of them. You have made it difficult to live up to what I believe and that is what God says to do and that's to forgive. So you are forgiven, sir. Now you watch that. You hear that and you've got to think, how can you do that? I mean, you, you ask that same question of that criminal, of that murderer. How can you cure those people? But then you ask that same question of this guy. How can you do that? A father forgiving the murderer of his daughter. How can anyone do that? Such forgiveness, such mercy. It's unreasonable, it's outrageous, it's scandalous. Well, if that is how you are feeling towards this father about the criminal, if that's what you're feeling, well, it's in a sense how Jonah felt about God sparing the Ninevites. You see, you see when, when God spared the Ninevites, Jonah was furious he was furious, he was red hot with anger. But he's thinking, these Ninevites, they were ruthless, they were evil, they killed so many, they're like rich way on a national scale. God, how can you do that? 
How can you do that, God? Forgive them, relent and not bring judgment upon them? You see, Jonah was so angry. They were like the Pol Pot of their days. The Saddam is saying the Hitler of their days. And so Jonah, he sulks. He's angry, he's displeased, he's outraged with God. And look at verse 1. What does he do? Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. Now, now in the Hebrew, it literally reads this. The great evil displeased him. The great evil displeased him. That is, what he saw as evil was in fact good in God's eyes. God expressed mercy, God showed grace, God relented. That was good in God's eyes. But in Jonah's eyes, that was evil. He called what God did in relenting evil. But you see, Jonah in fact knew this about God. And that's why he ran away in the first place, in the beginning of chapter 1. You see, Jonah was in fact afraid that God would be God, that God would act as God, and that is to be compassionate and gracious. And so now he says this prayer. Now when you look at this prayer, it's almost funny. You know, funny to see his boldness, his audacity to speak to God with such words. In the ancient world, you speak to any king or emperor in such, with such attitude, you get your head chopped off. But Jonah here, he speaks to God in this way and you're thinking, is he, just, is he brave or was he just stupid? But anyway, verse 2, look at what he says. Oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? That is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love. Now, this is the love we've been studying in our Bible studies, if you're in part of a growth group. It's the Hesed word. It's an undeserved love, a gracious love. And so he goes on to say, he knows that you're a God who re- relents from sending calamity. Jonah actually knows that God prefers to relent. God prefers to show mercy. God prefers to show grace than to judge. And Jonah knew that. And that's why he ran. And that's why he's frustrated now. He's angry. He's saying to God, I knew you would forgive. I knew you would relent. But what are you doing, God? Why are you acting like God? And I can't stand you. I can't stand your tolerance. I can't stand your compassion. How can you do this? You know, just the tiniest, the smallest hint of repentance from anyone, as evil as they are, and you're all over them. I just can't stand it, Jonah says. You're just too quick to forgive. I knew. I couldn't trust you. And so I ran away. You see, God was far more merciful, far more compassionate than Jonah hoped. But you see, the sticking point for Jonah here, why he was so angry, was because God was expressing and showing mercy to an enemy state. Jonah knew that if these guys were allowed to live, they might come back and destroy them. And that's in fact what happened. Only around the corner, about 40 years later, Assyria... where Nineveh is the capital, they came back and they destroyed the northern kingdom. Now Jonah is thinking, God, these guys are going to kill us. They in fact did. And so Jonah is thinking, why would God allow that? Why would God help this enemy state who will eventually destroy them? And so he says in verse 3, Lord, O Lord, take my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. He's saying, Lord, God, kill me now. Just kill me now, strike me down. Now you must wonder what God would have been thinking at this point. There's this rebel prophet who's raging against God. What would God be thinking? 
You're a punk. <laughs> You're a punk, you little prophet. Look at, what, <laughs> look at what God says instead. Verse 4. Have you any right to be angry? Have you any right to be angry? Wake up, Jonah. Are you for real that you will be angry with me? I sent the whale to save you. I spared you. I could have left you to die in the sea. Are you for real that you will be angry with me? Jonah didn't really listen. He rages on. He continues. Look at verse 5. Jonah went out, sat down at the place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade and waited to see what would happen to the city. You see, Jonah was actually not giving up. He was still angry. He's sitting there outside the city walls, watching the city and hoping, with all hopes, that God would still come down on them in judgement. He was hoping that sitting there he would see fire come down from heaven. But what did God do? Now what would you do if you had this little punk prophet as one of your prophets? Well, what did God do? Well, God gives Jonah a lesson, teaches him a lesson, gives him an object lesson. God reminds Jonah, I'm God. You're not God. I'm the one who's responsible for the salvation of anyone. I'm the one responsible for the judgment of anyone. I'm God. You are not God. And so what we see here in this object lesson is we see salvation and we also see judgment but in miniature. God is teaching him a lesson here. And so verse 6, God displays his salvation in miniature. Verse 6, then the Lord provided a vine and made it grow over Jonah to give him shade for his head. It's just like how God provided the big fish, the giant fish. And this was to ease his discomfort. Now the word again literally uh, reads... God delivered him from the calamity. Ease his discomfort, delivered him from his calamity. It's the same calamity that God delivered Nineveh from. And so Jonah here, with this shade, he was very pleased, happy about the vine. And so Jonah here experienced salvation in miniature. He experienced God's goodness, God's kindness, God's grace. He experienced God's deliverance. But, but when you read this, you must... You must see the absurdity. He's sitting there outside the city walls. He's enjoying this shade. He's probably having a drink. And he's in his heart hoping, with all hopes, that those people in the wall, within the city walls, would all perish, would all rot in hell, would be killed by God. You see the irony there? And so he experiences salvation and now he experiences judgment in miniature. Look at 7 and 8. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed up the vine so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. So Jonah again throws up his arm. He's mad, he's angry, he's furious with God. How can you do that? How can you do that, God? How can you do that to me? So kill me now. Kill me now, that God. It's not worth living. It's just too hot to live. What did God say? Verse 9. Do you have a right to be angry about the vine? I do. I'm angry enough to die. And with those words, we see Jonah's moral corruption, his spiritual depravity. He just couldn't get it, he didn't see it. But he plays right into the hands of God. 
You see, God is like this master chess player and traps him with this lesson. God now shows him the absurdity of his response to God and God teaches him this lesson. And so he says, listen in Jonah, verses 10 and 11. You have been concerned about this vine. Though you did not tend it or make it grow, it sprang up overnight and died overnight. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left. That is, there are 120,000 people in there who are morally corrupt. They can't tell between their left and right hand. They can't tell between right and wrong. And if that's not enough, Jonah, God says it, there are many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about that great city? So God's saying, Jonah, 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 are you really so silly, so stupid, so petty that you can't get it, that you don't see? You see, the problem was not the Ninevites at all. It's not about their wickedness. The problem is your heart, Jonah. You're the problem. And so God says to him, aren't cows, cattle, worth more than a plant? Now, I'm not much of a gardener. I'm, in fact, not a gardener at all. Things have died around me. If we didn't have a garden at our place, I think more would be dead. But Yvonne's working hard to keep them alive. Anyway, if you see an ugly tree, what do you do? You don't like the tree. You chop it down, you burn it, and it's okay. It's just a plant. It's just a tree, right? But aren't cows worth more than a vine? More than a plant? When you see an ugly cow, an ugly dog, an ugly cat, you can't just chop it down and burn it up. It matters because animals are worth more than plants, right? And the argument goes on. Aren't humans, aren't the Ninevites worth more than a plant? Jonah, you see, you value this vine so much. These are people I have made. I created them. I love them. I care for them. They were made in my image. Aren't they worth more than your petty plant? And so this story ends. Jonah remains silent. We don't hear from him again. God gets the last word. Should I not be concerned about that great city? And so we've come to the end of this wonderful story, wonderful series. It's a wonderful story, isn't it? A story with twists and turns and drama and adventure. But of course you know by now that stories in the Bible are never simply just stories. Never just random events collected for us and for our entertainment. You see, the story here has a theological meaning. All stories in the Bible are theological. That is, it always teaches us something about God and about us. So what do we learn from the story of Jonah, from this last chapter? But the first thing we learn here is we learn what God is really like. You see, the God of all creation, the God who created you, gave you life, the God who created me. But this God is a gracious God. That is his nature. That is what he is like. That is his character. God is a gracious God, compassionate, abounding in love. It's wonderful, isn't it, that God is a gracious, compassionate God? And and you see, it's not something that Christians just made up. It's not like Christians got together at some council somewhere and decided, wouldn't it be nice if God would love us no matter what we do? Wouldn't it be nice if the God that we worship would forgive us no matter what we do? Wouldn't it be nice to have a God that we worship and give our life to that that is compassionate, who is compassionate and merciful and gracious and loving? 
Wouldn't that be nice? You see, it doesn't work that way. We don't decide what God is like. We only know that God is gracious because that is how God has made himself known. God has made himself known throughout the Bible, throughout human history, that he is gracious. That is how he revealed himself. It's a bit like if I were to watch your life 24-7, I see everything, I'm a spy. I can actually, by the end of that seven days, make a pretty good judgement on what you're like to see how you've acted, how you've responded, what you've said, what you've done. I can make a pretty good judgement. Well, in a sense, that's what we can do with God in human history. We look at what God has done throughout the Old Testament, throughout the Bible. This is what God is like. He is gracious. He is compassionate. God spared Adam and Eve. They didn't deserve to live anymore. God spared them. God spared Lamech. In Genesis, God spared Lot. God spared Israel when they worship a golden calf instead of the real God. God spared David when he committed adultery and murder. God spared Solomon. You see, the God we worship is gracious. He's compassionate. That is what he is like. And if you don't know this, this is unique amongst all the religions of the world. God is gracious. And that's exactly what we have seen here in the book of Jonah. See, God was gracious to the sailors. They were pagan worshippers. They were idol worshippers. They worshipped worthless idols. Uh, They worshipped things that they created instead of the creator. But God was gracious to them. God was gracious to Nineveh. They were ruthless. They were evil. They were heartless. But God was gracious to them too. God was gracious to Jonah. He was this disobedient punk prophet, self-righteous, the one who had the, uh, the, the attitude to, to think, I know better than God. But God was gracious to him too. You see, no one in the book of Jonah deserved God's mercy. No one deserved God's kindness and goodness. And that's why, you see, if you understand grace that way, it's outrageous. It's undeserved. So different to how we're wired up. I like to earn what I get. I work hard and I get something. I give you something, you give me something. But grace works so totally different. I am bad to you, but you still love me. I'm evil to you, but you still care for me. That is grace. It's outrageous, but that is what God is like. Now think about the book of Jonah, if you were God, or if I were God, and we acted justly. We acted with complete justice. What, what would this story look like? Well, the sailors, those idol worshippers, they'll probably die in a storm. Let them die. These guys worship created things rather than the creator. Nineveh, those ruthless bunch of people, well, let them burn like Sodom and Gomorrah. That is justice. Jonah, well, he wouldn't be swallowed by a giant fish to keep him alive. He'll be torn to pieces by sharks. Let him die. That's what he gets for disobedience. That is justice. If I were God, if you were God, there will be no one left by the end of this book. But you see, I'm glad that I'm not God. And I'm actually glad that you are not God too. God acts outrageously. God acts scandalously. God acts graciously. Why does God do that? It's because that is what God is like. But you see, grace is so outrageous, not only because it's undeserved, but because it is so costly. Grace to us is free, but it's costly to God. When God acts graciously, we enjoy it. We get a free ticket to heaven. 
but wasn't free to God. It was extremely costly to God. If you think about it, grace is expensive. It is costly. Now just suppose this scenario. A husband and a wife, they've been married for 10 years. The husband, stupid husband, he, he, he stumbles. He's done something very bad. He's been unfaithful to his wife. He's betrayed her. He's hurt her deeply and she knows that. She feels the hurt and he knew, knew that he shouldn't have done it but he did and it's tearing their relationship apart. It's breaking up their marriage. He did all that. He was fully responsible. Now, what could the wife do? What options does she have? Well, she feels deeply hurt, deeply betrayed. She wants to separate. <coughs> but she didn't. Instead, after much soul-searching, as hard as it was, she willingly forgives him. She acts graciously towards him who betrayed her and hurt her so much. You see, her grace to him is free for him. He's, he's got a free ticket. I'm still right with my wife. I'm, uh, my div- uh, divorce is nowhere in sight. Well, our marriage is still intact. But you see, it was costly to her to forgive, to act graciously. Because from that point on, who has to guard the tongue? Who is it that has to watch what to say? Who is the one who is not allowed to dig up these past things and throw it back into his face? You may remember that time when you were unfaithful. Who is the one who has to be self-controlled? Who is the one who has to live with that pain and that shame of that betrayal? Well, she does. She has to absorb all of that. Grace is free to one side, but so costly to the other. She has to live with that pain and shame. But she acted graciously. And so for God to act graciously to us, to Jonah, to Nineveh, to the sailors, it's costly to God, though it's so good and so free for us. Because you see, in the end, we know in this story, it doesn't end by the end of Jonah, it actually progresses. And we see in the New Testament the coming of God's very own Son. That was the cost for God to be gracious to us. God gave up his own beloved Son. God absorbed the pain. God absorbed the shame, the cost, when his Son bled and suffered and died on that Roman cross. That is the cost for God to be gracious to us. And if you think about that, it's completely, totally, utterly outrageous. I would never give up my son. As difficult as they are sometimes, I would never give them up for anyone. No one at all. God gave up his own beloved son. For, for who? People who are so lovable and kind and pretty? No, for enemies. That is grace. Free to us, but so costly to God. And that's why grace is so outrageous. And so what does this mean for us then? If this is what grace is, knowing this, hearing this, what does it mean for us? Well, it means that we can't be like Jonah. It means that we can't be a Jonah in our world today. We can't think that we deserve God's grace more than anyone and everyone else in this world. We can't think that we're better than anyone and everyone else in this world. We can't think to God, God, I've worked hard and lived a good Christian life. I actually earned something. I deserve something from you. 
you know, those guys, those murderers like Ridgeway, those Pol Pot and Hitler, they don't deserve anything from you. Let them rot in hell. But me, have mercy on me. Be gracious to me. I deserve it. I deserve your grace. They deserve your judgment and not me. You see, that's to be like a Jonah. And I wonder if we ever feel that way or think that way, even secretly. That bully at school, that person who stole my things, let them rot in hell. I pray that God will give them what they deserve. Or do I pray differently? You see, we can't be like Jonah. We are just one beggar telling another beggar where to find food. We are like one sinner telling another sinner where to find forgiveness. And if anything, if you think about this story, we can't be Jonah anyway. Now, I'm not sure if there are any Jewish people amongst us. I suspect most of us here are Gentiles. If we are to align with anyone in this story, it's not Jonah. We are the rotten Ninevites. We are the rotten Gentiles who have received grace and mercy. We've already experienced that. We can't go back and be like Jonah. You see, we can't be like Jonah if we understand grace. So this story ends. Where did Jonah end up in this story? Do we know? Do we know whether Jonah understood and got that lesson? Did he understand grace in the end? Well, this book seems to leave it all open-ended. We don't hear from Jonah again. So did he learn his lesson from God? Well, some people would think, well, Jonah didn't. God got, God got the last word. We just don't know. We can't know. Well, I think we do know whether Jonah got it. You see, how do we know that Jonah was such an idiot? How do we actually know that? How do we actually know that Jonah was so stupid? How do we know that Jonah was so morally and spiritually corrupt? How do we know that Jonah was so stupid to to argue, to rage against God, to complain against God? How do we know that? The only possible way we can know that is if Jonah wrote this down. You see, what kind of man would let the world know that he's a stupid person? Who would write about their own biography and end with them looking so stupid? Well, Jonah, he did that and why? Well, perhaps he eventually came around and understood grace. He was so secure in God's love and God's grace that it didn't matter at all if the world knew that he was such a stupid person because he understood grace. So the only possible way, why, why, way that we, for us to know that Jonah was so stupid was if he wrote it down and he will only write it down if he understood grace. And so the question comes to you. What about you? Do you understand grace? Because if you do, if you do understand grace, then you can in fact look at this man, this father, Robert Rule, and, and look at what he said to that murderer. And you can actually say, I actually understand why he said that. I actually understand why he said those words to that murderer. As outrageous and as scandalous as it was, I understand. You know why we can understand? We understand because this guy himself experienced grace and the forgiveness of God. 
he experienced the comfort, the peace, the joy and the assurance of the grace of God. He understood that and that's why he can say those words. You see, God is gracious. That is our God. A grace that is so outrageous, so scandalous, but yet so, so, so good. And that is ours. So let's praise God for that.